Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. And this is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you first. What's astonishing you? Well, um, I had a Sunday, and, and uh, we all have these Sundays from time to time when we preach, <laughs> and the sermon just kind of falls flat. And there can be a lot of reasons for yeah. that. Yeah. But sometimes... The reason is simply the fault of the preacher. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those Sundays, and as I was reflecting on it, you know, the, the problem was I just didn't spend enough time in the text mm-hmm. during the week. Mm-hmm. I said yes to too many meetings. Mm-hmm. I tried to do too many other things mm-hmm. other than just focus on preparing the sermon, and I uh, paid a price for that uh, in the pulpit on Sunday morning. And, um, and it's so hard. <laughs> it's just because it's so hard to shake it off and you can't really talk about it. I mean, obviously we're talking about it here, but you really can't talk about it in the community because it seems like you're asking people to take care of you and that's not yes. their job. And also just because we feel bad about what we have preached does not mean that the Holy Spirit hasn't been abundantly able to minister to people Correct. through it. And so it's just a, it's not about us and it's not about our egos. And yet for us, it feels that way sometimes. Well, and there's just a level of, I was thinking about, okay, so what is the relevance? What might be the relevance of this to someone who is not a preacher? Mm-hmm. And I think the the issue is discipline, mm-hmm. right? So when you don't have the discipline or you don't uh, take the time, make the time to spend reading, studying the text, there's a price to be paid. And in the same way, I think for people who are not preachers, when you are not disciplined about your prayer life, about your Mm -hmm. Bible reading, about any spiritual discipline, there's a price to pay. And Mm -hmm. for us, there is, uh, there can be kind of an immediate sting to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you can become accustomed to that. You can you can lose the ouch factor in that and get to a place where uh, you kind of live lower than yeah, you might I mean, otherwise. We get immediate feedback because we know, even if other people don't know, mm-hmm. we know whether or not we have created something and that was adequate to be, yes. right? I mean, I just, yes. I know, you know instantly, even sometimes... If it is something that other people might look at and say, well, that's objectively a good sermon, but you can know in your head that there could have been more, there should have been more, you could have gone deeper, right? You just know that. And I think we do get that immediate feedback in a way that is um, ultimately a gift, but can really feel like a curse. Mm -hmm. But I, but I hear what you're saying. Like you can, you can also just become accustomed to saying like, oh, well, this is just how it is. This is what I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. Instead of recognizing like, no, I mean that the, the reality, which is both a biblical and a natural principle of like, you reap what you sow, right? Mm -hmm. That when you, absolutely, I think that is so true. And I think um, it's also just this concept of, I mean, I hear you when you say like, I took too many meetings and it's just funny because it takes to do it really well and faithfully. It takes a lot of time. And a lot of that time is invisible. Like nobody, I mean, it's one reason it's kind of a joke that like I often will post on social media, like the stack of books of where I am when I'm in the library or studying. But part of that is just because I'm trying to say to my congregation, like, 
I'm not in a meeting. I'm not doing something that's making the news. I'm not whatever. I'm working, but it's just not performative work, right? Mm -hmm. It's all this behind the scenes, invisible work that hopefully then is used by the Holy Spirit to do something that's a blessing to the congregation. And the sermon isn't just whatever, 20 odd minutes at the Grove and 45 (laughs) odd minutes to ride up. Wait, what are you trying to say? I mean, it's not just those moments. I mean, those that's the time where you have the biggest impact as a pastor. I remember someone saying like, look, um, that's your biggest pastoral care moment because yeah. that's when you're talking to everyone in the congregation and sort of, and, and when I was in seminary, I think I've talked about it before, but one of my, probably my favorite professor was my New Testament professor. And and at the time when he was teaching us the New Testament professor, he talked about um, pastoring and leading from the pulpit. Mm. And at the time I just, I did not understand what he meant and what we were talking about. Like I, I was conceiving my life as being a lectionary preacher. And so I just thought like, well, you preach the text and it's just whatever text the lectionary gives you. And that may or may not be relevant to whatever issues are going on. Um, but anyway, n- now I just really understand that it's this moment when we articulate who Jesus is and who we are and how yeah. we follow. And that's a culture forming moment. And so you know, like the joke is all pastors only work for 20 minutes on Sunday. And I mean, like, again, I feel like sometimes we overcompensate by that for that, by trying to show people our busy schedules yes. and always being behind and late and cramming in a bunch of meetings. Cause we're trying to say, no, 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 I do more than this. I do enough. I work hard yes. when the reality is to make those 20 minutes really a vehicle that the Holy spirit can use in supernatural ways mm-hmm. takes a lot of Discipline and boring behind the scenes yeah. stuff, and that's a you know that's a hard. Um, it's hard to trust God yeah. with that because it's not busyness, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you sort of feel like, oh, I need to do something, create mm-hmm. something, make mm-hmm. something, be seen, yeah. instead of saying like, no, I need to do um, the deep spiritual work and trust that you know the church doesn't need my busyness. It doesn't also also doesn't need my laziness. So yes. I don't want to. I mean, yes. it's not that because I do think that sometimes we have the opposite problem but I know I get it it's hard especially yeah. when it's like it's not like during the last week you were not working for Derida That's you right. just look back at the week and go I didn't order my priorities right, right. I put some mm-hmm. less essential things more yeah. than and you know. as we approach Ash Wednesday Lent my mind is just on the subject of spiritual discipline mm-hmm. because that matters well and I think your point that I sped right past but your point of saying you know, the application for folks is like, I feel like we get busy for God by going to meetings and starting programs and doing that. But ev- I mean, every believer does that, right? That's is right. that like, you'll mm-hmm. know that I follow Jesus by what I do mm-hmm. and sort of the spiritual formation, the prayer, the meditation, that feels like, you know, an, an opt-in or a nice mm-hmm. to have, not a mm-hmm. have to have. And it just, you know, reveals our fundamental misunderstanding of what is really true and yeah, what is really yeah. ultimate and what is really real. And so um, we're supposed to be doing that to kind of prepare the way and set the norms for our congregants to say, for our brothers and sisters, for our friends in the church, to say, you know, the time that we spend forming ourselves and nourishing ourselves in the Word of God, in contemplation, in mm-hmm. prayer, those are the things that make us the people yeah. who can be the body of Christ. And if we try to skip that step just to do stuff for God Mm -hmm. that's visible... It falls flat. Well, it does. And it might look like it's a thing, but it's not. It's not the real thing. So, yeah, yeah, I really... I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I completely don't relate to that at all. (laughs) Sorry about that. So what's astonishing you? Uh, 
well, so last week I was um, not in the pulpit. I was not in town. I had gone to visit family, um, which was good. And I just think I was watching, um, we record, publish the the worship service every week on Facebook, which is um, a huge gift. And it's not great quality. You know, the platform itself is not great quality audio or visually, but I, you know, I like to watch it. I like to see what happens. I mean, I'm not just the pastor of this community, like this is, this is my church, like these are my people. And so it's really, um, and I just, you know, it was a gift to step away. I mean, sometimes I feel like when I'm in worship, I, I am not one of those people. Like I hear pastors say, oh, I can't worship when I'm leading worship. That's not my reality yeah, me at either. all. Me I either. absolutely worship while I'm leading worship. If I didn't feel like I could do that, I would have to find a new <laughs> job. Yeah, so yeah. I'm absolutely worshiping when I'm leading worship. Um, and it's just, there's something was a, just a huge gift about having the perspective of watching it happen without me being in the room. And it just mm. gives me, gave me just a moment to step back and kind of marvel at what the Holy Spirit is doing. Mm. Um, and just the people who, who were there and just how much I love them and honor them and the people who stepped in to lead worship in my absence. It's just, I just, um, I really love them. I really wow. love what God is yeah. doing. And I, I really, I mean, I, sometimes I feel stupid when we come to this part of the podcast because every week I'm sort of saying like, well, I mean, it feels like an obnoxious kind of humble brag, like, look at this awesome thing. Look at that awesome thing. And that's not how I mean it. But I do feel like a fundamental part of being a pastor to me is authentically loving the people that you get to serve. And, um, and like, if I don't, if you don't love people, they know it. And if you yeah. don't love people, then why yeah. would they ever follow you into like a vulnerable place of change or disruption? And so I just, it's just good for me to notice yeah. Um, yeah. and marvel and and name how much I just love the particular people that God has called to this congregation and how, you know, I look at people and just think, I'm just so honored that mm. these people could be anywhere <laughs> that they're here. <laughs> I can't believe it. Mm. It's like, um, so I just, anyway, I was just watching the service and it was just really beautiful and people are doing just really brave things and doing them really well and stepping outside of their comfort level and just seeing, um, literally out of the room and just being able to see how the Holy Spirit is, is using what's happening and, and just, like loving how totally unnecessary I was, right? Like I'm yeah. literally not in the mood in yeah. the room, right? And so this beautiful thing is happening and I'm not needed. Like, and I'm glad I get to participate in it. And I'm not saying I'm without value, but it's just so wonderful to, it just gives you so much peace yeah. to see that this thing is so much um, bigger and deeper and richer and it's not on your shoulders, which obviously it never was. But sometimes but we can fool ourselves. We can into, feel that way, yeah, or yeah. in you know the enemy, <laughs> the enemy of our souls can trick us into feeling like, well, you're having a bad day. Well, you preached a bad sermon, so that's, everybody that's right. just wasted their the time. The whole thing right? is a waste. And yeah. so it's just really helpful to have that balance of feeling like what I do matters, and I'm honored mm. and privileged to do it, and I want to give it my all, and mm. I want to do my best every time. And also, it's kind of irrelevant because. You know, we give our gifts to God and God can work through our strengths and through our weaknesses. And anyway, so yeah. it was just, it was beautiful and it was beautiful to watch. And I love these people and, um, well, yeah, I'm astonished. Wow. Wow. It's great. Yeah. So what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about Chick-fil-A. 
<laughs> no secrets. You, so I just want to say, for the record, we go on a walk um, every time we make these podcasts, and we go on the walk, and I just talk about whatever I'm thinking or feeling, and yeah. then that's what I say on these podcasts. And you, clearly I just talk too much, but you also will just talk about other things, and then all of a sudden we sit down a podcast, and you... Say something completely out of left field, but anyway. So that's how I roll. Okay, why are you thinking about chicken? That's just how I mm-hmm. roll. Well, uh-huh. um, read an article um, in Preaching Magazine. I'm just saying it feels like cheating. What? Like it's supposed to be the podcast is this is what we talk about on our walks, and we did not talk about that on our walk. All I'm saying is you're like you're like doing extra credit. <laughs> that's because I am so. Um, so into what you're saying is that Shut I up. don't. Shut uh, up. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm Chick-fil-A. sorry. Enough. Chick Fil A. Well, there's an article uh, in Preaching Magazine, and this preacher is um, uh, he's saying how much he first of all how much he loves Chick Fil A, and then he says, you know what? I wish my church were more like Chick Fil A. And um, he says, first of all, um, you're reading now. Yes. yes. Developing a culture of serving others. Everyone's job at Chick-fil-A is to serve. Regardless of their title or job description, you will likely hear more than one person say, my pleasure in serving you. Then he says, I love that they call people by name. When I go through the drive-thru, they will always ask my name as they take my order. By the time I make it to the window, someone else hands me my food and calls me by name. I know they're just reading off a screen, But still, I love that personal touch. Next, they develop systems to be efficient. Then he writes, think about it. The busiest fast food restaurant in our community has the best customer service. How is this possible? They have developed systems to handle the crowds of people. They expect crowds each day and they plan for it. Then finally, he says, This is what I love about Chick-fil-A and how I wish my church were more like Chick-fil-A. They strive for excellence. According to the Chick-fil-A website, the capital A on the end of the name is deliberate. It stands for, quote, grade A or top quality. They seem to work hard to live up to their name. Um, So I I read that earlier, um, actually late last week, and I thought, yeah, um, sometimes I find myself going to Chick-fil-A even when I don't really particularly want Chick-fil-A, but there's something about the culture there mm-hmm. that I'm driven to. And when I listen to myself and the conversations that I have with people in our church community, it's often around how can we create a certain kind of programming to attract people in our neighborhood instead of what kind of people do we need to be? What kind of culture do we need to uh, build uh, in our congregation? Which is a different, different conversation, a different question. Like I I have complicated feelings about that um, just because I know, and this isn't really fair, but I know what Chick-fil-A stands for Mm. in a lot of people's minds. And Mm. so I just feel like it's important to acknowledge that. And again, I don't, you know, I really believe that everyone has not just the right, but the responsibility to read and interpret scripture for themselves, Mm. period. Um, I believe that when I believed that when I was working with people to advocate for full inclusion of LGBT 
people in the church. And I believe that now yeah. that that has happened. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like, you know, people need to have freedom of conscience. And so, but I just, but I know how um, harmful that institution is kind of a stand in in the culture war for people. And that's not really fair, but it just is because yeah. I also know and really authentically believe that that, um, that that institution has a commitment to serving people mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and honorably, mm-hmm. regardless of anything else, right? So, anyway. which is what I think the article was getting. Oh, I at. do, I do. Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, I just yeah. feel like that needs to be said, yeah. right? Because it's just an elephant it's in the room, and it needs yes. to be said. And the other thing that I think is interesting is, like, if I had heard that ten years ago, I think it would have really made me mad. Like, you know, that's just the church trying to be more like a corporation, blah blah blah. And I think that would have just betrayed a fundamental misunderstanding on my part which is a hiding from the truth because I think a lot of people do do that. They just sort of reflexively say like, oh, well, you're just trying to make, you know, the church like a like corporate America and that's right. terrible. And that's not at all the case. Mm-hmm. But what the point of the article is to say Chick-fil-A, a corporate entity, has a mission and puts that mission first yes. and understands that the institution exists to accomplish the mission, not to please the people who are part of the institution. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think the church in general and the local church in particular often doesn't understand. Yes. We do not understand that we as an institution have signed on to the mission of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so there's all kinds of benefits for us as individuals in being part of a church. Obviously, you know, we grow, we are nurtured, we become closer to God, we find this deep, rich, meaningful, life-changing mm-hmm. community among peers and brothers and sisters and family and all those mm-hmm. things are really really great. And they are not the reason Mm -hmm. that the church exists. Mm -hmm. The church has a mission. I didn't pick the mission Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make disciples of Jesus Christ, which means that we constantly have to um, balance or consider the needs of the people who are already here against the needs of the people who are not yet here and recognizing that when those two needs are in conflict, the needs of those who are not yet here should supersede Absolutely. the needs of those who are already here. And I understand how hard that is to hear because <laughs> you and I were friends <laughs> when I first encountered that principle when we were in the Transformation Pilot Project and you saw me over months pitch 19,000 kinds of fits what? about like just how heartless that felt and like would people become believers? We, I think I think I think I remember at one point saying like basically it's like when people become members of our church we just want to hit them over the head with the shovel take all their stuff and bury them out back who cares about them because we only care about the people we don't have yet I was not exactly a generous listener but I'm just saying like I do think it's helpful for the church to look at corporate America and say corporate America understands what it's like to have a mission and to put the mission first and the church does not understand that and I am not saying obviously that the church and corporate entities have the same mission correct I'm just saying that when corporate America cares about its mission more than the church of Jesus Christ cares about our mission we have a problem we have a huge problem and if corporate America's mission is only to make money and our mission is to live in the kingdom of God and share the good news Mm -hmm. of the gospel Mm -hmm. and usher salvation into those who are hurt we should care a whole lot more and we should care enough to put our own needs second Mm -hmm. to the real needs and you know and we've talked before about people can tell when they come into our communities whether they're welcome or not um, whether this community exists to serve people spiritually or not. I mean, people can tell. And I think a lot of times our congregations are so eager for us as leaders 
to put that truth on the table and to call call them deeply mm-hmm. to the mission. They're eager, and we're not doing it. And they would meet it. Like, they're ready to do incredible things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason I know that is because churches in the past have done it. And I don't think right. that people in this age care less. I just think that sometimes as leaders, we have decided for people that they're not capable mm-hmm. of caring well, even as much as we do, which is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Yeah, and so yeah. we're just not telling the truth, which doesn't mean being mean, doesn't mean being ugly, certainly doesn't mean making people feel like they don't matter because they absolutely do matter. But what matters most in our churches is the mission that Jesus Christ has called us to, period, end of story. And Chick-fil-A understands that. What matters most, they know what matters to them. Yeah. And they have created a culture to say, this is what matters. And if it doesn't matter to you, that's fine. You don't have to work here, but if you do work here, then, you're going to be part of this mission. That's right. If you don't care about this mission, mm-hmm. that's fine. We don't mm-hmm. hate you. We don't say you're a terrible person. We just say, go find another institution to be yeah. a part of. And we just need to be brave enough to do that in our congregation. So anyway, I agree. Yes. Yeah, I just think that that article is all about clarity of mission mm-hmm. and, and, and corporate culture. But I do think that we have to, especially people who have been like beautiful, faithful church members their whole lives and and do love Jesus sincerely, but have never really, like, haven't been formed to mm-hmm. understand mission as part of the local church. Like, their understanding of mission has been, work harder at your job in corporate America so that you can give more money to the church so that someone else can go do mission, yes. right? Like, they, it's not their fault. It's like Pottery Barn, baby. Like, mm-hmm. we broke, <laughs> we've broken a few generations of Christians, and now we own them, and we need to you know, we need to love them and, and, and reform the body of Christ. I feel like there's some denomination whose tagline is reformed and always reforming. Hmm. I feel like that, that is somebody's wow. denomination. I don't know. I kind of want to be a part of that. I'll Wait. research that. I know. Let's look into it. Um, so what are you okay. thinking about? I am thinking about, um, and we talked, we talked on our walk <laughs> about a couple local news stories, um, one of which was a, a pretty ugly story. There's a um, high school basketball mm. semifinal championship, right? Is it semifinal? I don't know. You know I, I don't think sport. So. <laughs> but yeah. um, between uh, two schools, Audrey Kell and West Charlotte, one of them is predominantly black and like 98% free and reduced lunch. The other is um, majority white and like 2%. I mean, they're almost mirror images mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. one another. And one school has a wonderful facility and one school, which is older, does not. Um, I'll let everyone guess <laughs> which is which. Um, and anyway, the um, West Charlotte School, um, which has the the worst facility, they had one home court advantage. So the game was supposed to be played at their gym, which again, I don't sport, but apparently that's a big advantage, right? Mm-hmm. And but lots of people argue about how this happened. But one way or another, the um, state board that oversees high school championship games. Can I just pause for a minute and say it makes me really sad that such a board exists. <laughs> but anyway, has like stepped in <laughs> immediately. Like apparently Bladen County was like selling mail-in ballots for decades and nobody had any input to ask. But man, this this situation has got to be corrected. Anyway, they stepped in and said, you can't have this game at the West Charlotte gym. It's got to be moved to an alternative site, which is Vance High School, which is I don't know. I don't do geography either, but I think it's a little bit closer to Audrey Kell and they lose home court advantage and it's a big thing. And then to top it all off, in the midst of that controversy, a young man from Audrey Kell, a white basketball player, tweeted, not tweeted, 
um, made a racial Snapchat. slur Thanks. on Snapchat, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which was then screenshot mm-hmm. and saved. And so to add to the reality, now you've got this ball player, um, white ball player using a racial slur, and that's all out there. And the school, to their credit, I think has suspended him indefinitely. This is just not tolerated. Um, and the young man's family made a statement to um, the observer. And I, I mean, as a white woman raising white children in a white supremacist culture, I um, definitely identify with those parents um, because it, because I just you just don't know what's going to get in your children, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a terrifying thing. And they made a statement saying like we support the suspension. Um, this is not who we want our son to be. But they and they went on to say, you know, we believe in diverse communities, and we believe this is not who our son really is. So obviously, I don't I don't know who these people are. I, I don't have any idea who they are. But my my strong suspicion is that they do authentically support diverse communities, and they have authentically tried to raise their son not to have this kind of ideology. And like most people, wealthy white people. I strongly suspect that they live in an all-white affluent community. They send mm. their son to an all-white affluent school. If they go to a, any kind of religious community, it's probably all-white and affluent mm. because white people live segregated lives. Mm. And the interactions they have with people of color, if they're like typical wealthy white people, are probably only people who work for them, right? Mm. And so I just think I'm struck by the idea of the parents saying and believing, like, we believe in diverse communities. And then my question is, okay, well, what diverse communities are you a part of? Mm. Because if you say you believe in diverse communities, Communities, but you choose to live in an all-white, quote, safe neighborhood and send your kid to an all-white, quote, safe school and work in all-white, quote, safe places and go to all-white, quote, safe churches. But you say you believe in diverse communities. You don't, we don't believe what we say. We believe what we do. Absolutely. Right? What we do tells us what our real beliefs are. And like, I believe that in an ideal world, you want everything that all white affluent communities give you, but you would like them to be diverse, but guess what? They're not. And so we just have to live with the repercussions of our choices. Um, and I just think it's really, I, I continue to be like astonished and honored that people of color would be willing to come into diverse worship spaces because people of color have to live in diverse, unhealthy spaces all the time. And I really understand and honor the need to have a safe, sacred worship community mm. space, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't get it, but I get it, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, what I don't understand is why white people aren't demanding diverse faith communities, because maybe you can't get up and move your neighborhood, and maybe you can't quit your job, and maybe you feel like the risks are too high mm-hmm. to put your kid in a school that isn't an A-rated school. But if you believe in diverse communities, then you need to find one and participate it in a meaningful way. And I just, you know, I just think for the benefit of saving our own children from a hateful ideology that is corrupting and poisoning them, we can't just say we believe in diverse communities. We have to show up and try to be a part of them and try to, you know, it's just, I just, it's sad for me. And I'm thinking about it in context of Ash Wednesday when we're all going to show up and say, I mean, I hope we're all going to show up and say, you know, God, I'm a sinner and my sin grieves me and Mm -hmm. and forgive me and I'm going to die. And I know this and I, you know, help me face my death in light of your life. And we're going to say those things. And, and then what, right? Like, we can say we know we're a sinner, but if we don't make any 
concrete, meaningful choices to repent and to live in a different way, then we don't actually believe it. Like we right. say it, but mm-hmm. we don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Like we can see what we believe by what we do. We can say we Absolutely. believe in generosity, but if we keep all our money for ourselves, then we don't. Yeah. We can say that we don't believe that the kind of car a person drives is a signifier of the quality of their humanity. But if we only spend our time with people who drive Hummers, then I mean, that's what you say, but it's not what you do. And so I just feel like Ash Wednesday is this moment to examine what we say we believe Mm. and then examine how we live and then tell the truth about the gap and not just be like, "Mm, shoot, hard to be human. Thank goodness I'll go to heaven one day. But to say like, no, there actually is healing for us. And I think like, can we go on to perfection? Sorry, my Methodist friends. I don't think so. But just because we can't be perfect, that doesn't mean we can't be better, right? Not better by our own effort. um, Because I think our own efforts are probably gotten us as far as we've gotten, right? Mm -hmm. But we can be better, be healed, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by prayer, by meditation, Mm -hmm. by fasting, by spiritual practices. We can do better. We can cause less harm to ourselves and others with our sin if we really believe that our sin is a problem, not just in theory, but in fact, and rant. So, so can I ask you a personal question? <laughs> yes. Do you remember the first time you entered into a diverse religious community? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was in seminary, I when I first got there, I immediately went and found a church, which was a suburban Presbyterian church, which was all white. And then the second year of seminary, I did my field education there. Um, and then uh, <laughs> that was a, a story in and of itself. <laughs> but um, but then I left and I, I went to, a, um, there's one Presbyterian church. No, no, I, I misspoke. There is one historically white Presbyterian church in um, a really, um, I mean, whatever, inner city part mm-hmm. of Boston. And I, I went there. Um, I could have, I see now, found a historically black church in, um, there's a historically black church in Roxbury, Boston, that I could have chosen to be a part of. And I I mean, my, I don't know, my mind frame was not that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my bias was too strong to look for that. But but anyway, I went to be part of this community, which was um, very diverse among the children and the youth that I worked with. The adult worshiping congregation at the time when I was there was largely white, like mm-hmm. 95% white. And actually the the pastor that I worked with and under kind of got really mad when I would point that out <laughs> occasionally. But anyway, so that was my first baby step into being in a diverse and it was yeah. it was um it was not all white. The adult community was not all white, but but majority. Like, but your experience was good. My experience was incredible. And that's that's why I asked that question. Mm-hmm. Because if I were going to give advice to white people, one of the things I would say very clearly is that most likely if they enter into a community where they are the minority, they will find in most cases Mm -hmm. an incredible amount of grace and welcome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I don't think... That is assumed by them. No, and I because I, but it makes sense when you take a step back because mm-hmm. by taking the risk mm-hmm. of coming into a space where you are deeply unfamiliar mm-hmm. and and taking the 
a really unnatural posture for white people of putting themselves in a space where they are the minority. Mm -hmm. I think that in my experience, the majority of people of color, you know, really are incredibly generous and gracious and receive that even though you might be fumbling around and looking like an idiot, even though sometimes you might say or do the wrong thing, people can see not what you say, but what your choices yes. are showing them, maybe not about who you are, but who you're trying to become, right? Yeah, we've talked about uh, this before. I think it was um, a few podcasts ago, the saying in the black church, you know, when you mess up, charge it to my head and up my heart. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. if a white person enters into, let's say, a black church, there, there's just grace there. It's like, oh, they just don't know. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And and truth, right? Like yeah. people will tell you, which I'm which I'm super yeah. grateful for. Yeah. yeah I mean, I... I well, in, and in my similar experience, even as an African-American man, I remember um, attending a, um, a Jewish uh, synagogue mm-hmm. in Louisville. And, um, you know, for the first time... I didn't know, even though I was taking Hebrew, I, I didn't know Hebrew, mm-hmm. but the welcome and the grace was incredible. Right, right. Yeah, and and unfortunately, I know the story of many people of color coming into white congregations and not getting an incredible welcome mm-hmm, at all. Mm-hmm. Like just because I do think that when people have the experience of being in the minority and you know what it's like, you know what the microaggressions are, you know how uncomfortable it feels yeah. to be in a space where yeah. you don't know what's going on and you're not sure if you're welcome. You know that. And so if you want to welcome people and you know how to do it. Yeah. And so many white people have never been in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so they don't know how to imaginatively yeah. think, what would it be like to walk in this room and yeah. look different than everyone else? And what would it be like to walk yeah. in this room and not know, you know, who, I, if I'm... I think the other piece of advice I would give white people is to let go of any thought that you have to change the world, mm-hmm. that's on your shoulders to yeah. end racism. It's mm-hmm. like, no, because that, that's, that's paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And so that keeps you in the same place. Right. And so just take a step. Just to say, if you believe in diverse communities, if you do, I'm not telling you you have to, mm-hmm. but if you are saying that you believe in them, then ask yourself, am I ever in them? Like, I do remember talking to a professor in seminary. Um, oh, and I can't remember his name. I think Cartwright. He actually mm-hmm. retired and went to go study Gullah in South Carolina. He was wow. really great. He was really lovely to me. Um and he was the, he was holding the Dr. King chair when I got in and he retired. And I remember just going to talk to him about, I don't know, I had issues <laughs> that I was seeking. And, and okay, he said we'll come me, back to that yeah, another time. But I mean, he said to me, and it felt like I was, I, and I heard him ask this question. I was like, gosh, can, can you say that? But he said, you need to make some black friends. And I, and I just felt like, I mean, I was open to that. I wasn't, but I just felt like, you know, am I allowed to just, desire to make black friends like isn't that like reverse racism like am i like because at the time i would have really thought like am i supposed to be colorblind i'm not supposed to notice whatever and he was just saying like if these are your Uh, values if you sincerely want to be a part of the legacy of king if you really then you need to take you know responsibility make choices Mm. to try to cultivate relationships with people who aren't white you just need to do that you don't need to sit around and wait for people of color to come to you you need to do this work and and it was great because it was both you know clear truth that i needed and permission to be like yeah. okay well if this yeah. african american yeah. professor of social justice tells me that i need to do this then yeah. i can do this and yeah. i can even be honest about yeah. saying like to myself or anyway so it was but yes like if you believe in these things then you need to cultivate for friendships and relationships 
not relationships with people who work for you or who are your subordinates. You need to cultivate friendships and relationships and communities where you are not in the majority and you need to know people, not to change them, not to fix them, not to help them, but just to say, I authentically would feel honored to be your friend, to share our lives together. And what institution in the entire United States of America has more of a chance to let that authentically happen but the church? Anyway, I know we're out of time, so forget about it. I know we have to stop, right? Well, we need to talk about what we're preaching about. Just just a word. Death. Death. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's Ash Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday tomorrow. Holy cow. And I am preaching about the fact that we are going to die. Yes. That is a reality. That you is a reality. Dust, and to dust you shall return. Right. And just to say it's good, hard, but good to stop once a year and say I'm going to die. And yeah. am I living the kind of life that oh, so I want to live in light yeah. of the fact that it's finite yeah. and fleeting and I'm going to die. And yeah. I want to... Uh, you know, not as we were saying in the walk, not dying is not an option. It's so, not how an option. do I want to die? How do I want to get old? How do I want to yeah. be weak? You know, how do I want to face that truth in light of who Jesus is, mm. in light of that the world says the older you get and the weaker you get, the less, you know, valuable you are? Yeah. And the gospel says exactly the opposite. Yeah. So, how can I face the end of my life? in a way that is a blessing Mm. um, to other people and to myself and really get a chance to learn that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Like it's coming. It's coming. And I want to be ready for it. I want to grow into my best self at the moment of my death and not let fear um, rob me. Yeah. Of who I authentically am. You're preaching about death. I'm preaching about suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. 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 That's good. All right. Well, that's we it. What? No. What are you preaching about suffering? Um, First Peter one. Um, Peter begins, you know, praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us new birth, and it begins with this glorious mm-hmm. work of God's grace in our lives. Mm-hmm. And Peter then says. And we rejoice in this, even though we will suffer. We will mm-hmm. suffer. And so we're just going to be um, uh, sitting with the reality that suffering is not an option. Right. You will suffer. Not it, suffering is not an option. That's what I want to say. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, it's uh, the same thing, though. I mean, like, I think popular commercial Christianity preaches, honestly, that yes. death and suffering are optional right. and really only happen if you're doing it wrong. Right? Right. And um, we know that that's not the truth. It's not an option. And so we need to figure out how we're going to face it. And that's and exactly it. where we're going. And how we're like, going to leverage it. How are we going to suffer? What are we going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, are you, when, 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 when things happen, when suffering comes, when the storms of life hit, you're going to get angry. You're going to get sad. You're going to curl up in the fetal position emotionally and just wish your problems away. Um, and the text tells us, no, we're going to rejoice. It we're is going an to rejoice. Yes. It is. I mean, that is the thing. We, it is an option. So yes. we might not choose to exercise that option, but it is a clear option in the gospel, in the kingdom of God to rejoice in our suffering and death. And the reason we know that's true is because I don't know Jesus and the cross. Mm, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, which is why Peter begins with this great work of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And he says, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Mm-hmm. And, and so, then he goes to suffer. Because we think God's glory is expressed in our success mm-hmm. and in our strength. Mm-hmm. And the witness of the gospel is that mm-hmm. Jesus was not glorified when he was performing miracles. Yeah. When he was healing people, he was glorified in his death. Yes. And um, again, I know I mentioned the, the Bible Project podcast all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last episode, they were talking about um, 
uh, the text where uh, two disciples asked Jesus to sit at his right and left mm-hmm. and come into his kingdom. And uh, Jesus said, it's not mine. Uh, it's not my authority to give to you, but uh, to those uh, to whom it has been appointed or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And the two to whom it had been appointed were the two thieves next to him because Jesus' enthronement was the cross. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, man. Yeah, when they said that, I was like, holy cow, that's right. Because I'd always wondered, well, yeah. well, well who, who who, had been appointed oh, to that? that's funny. I've because never... Because Jesus wow. was going to his throne. He was, he was being enthroned. He was being... Well, in Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, glorify me. That, that was... That's so glorified. interesting. I mean, that's so 100% true... And yet my whole life, when I read that passage, I always think about the celestial throne, like the throne of heaven, like I never, but absolutely. I've totally missed it. Yes. I've totally missed it too. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yes. That's great. Yes. Okay. Anybody who's listening to that from our churches, just forget you heard it. <laughs> 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 it's coming to a sermon near you. 